Oh yeah, I, yeah. I tell people they, they marvel. They go, "Wow, that's a huge deal. Yeah. How did you do it?" And I, my answer is, it took me 30 years to become an overnight success. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it, it, in essence, um, that was a, a, a lot of things had to happen for that deal to uh, mm. to come together, and they did, and it was just the perfect storm. Back to another episode. We're here in Durham region in the Whitby and in Oshawa talking about opportunities for entrepreneurs. And we're here with Chris Travales. Chris, how are you? Good, great, thanks, Alex. Man, we have an excellent episode for you where we're diving into the commercial opportunities. And Chris here is an expert. You've been in the game for 30 years. Could you tell us about yourself real quick? Well, I, I, um, I've been uh, with Royal LePage Frank Real Estate in the commercial side. Uh, for 30 plus years. Uh, I work exclusively in Durham region. I've done uh, uh, some business outside of Durham, but this is my specialty. Okay. And I do the gamut. I do industrial, commercial, retail, apartment buildings, development land, uh, and unique things. Like uh, several years ago, I sold an airport. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? You, yeah, that was, uh, that, that was, was that a good like, one. Man? Well, it was different. I mean, I had no clue how you sell an airport, but the owner said, I'll figure it out. So I actually contacted Transport Canada and mm -hmm. got the uh, flight manual from Transport Canada, mm -hmm. which was a Bible that thick, mm -hmm. and it had every detail of every airport in Canada. So I had to figure out all kinds of things like uh, bird migration programs, elevation, what kind of planes mm -hmm. could land on what length of runways, and, and kind of piece it together that way. So. Uh it was a fascinating experience wow yeah it was Incredible, good man. so I, you just have to look at each project and really sink your teeth into it mm -hmm. nice. that's what i really like about commercial real estate no two projects are the same mm, every deal is different every deal is different okay so where are we right now and um today we're going to be going through like i said commercial properties so walk us through where we are and, and uh give us some more details Okay, this uh, property is a 40,000 square foot strip mm -hmm. plaza in downtown Whitby. Um, it's 84% uh, occupied, so there's some upside uh, for a buyer mm -hmm. in that he could create additional income by renting the vacant suites. Mm -hmm. The existing tenants are stable, they've been here a long time, um, and the site um, is uh, well maintained, it's uh, been well managed over the years. The ownership is looking to retire. They've owned it uh, a long, long time. And uh, it's a good, good opportunity for uh, a buyer who wants to get into the Durham market. Uh, it's listed at $10.8 million, which is a uh, six cap. Mm -hmm. And by cap, I mean capitalization rate. So it's the rate of return. Mm -hmm. So let's say a new owner comes in and buys the building and you said there's leasing upside. Yes. Um, Typically, how long are these commercial rental agreements, right? And what Whoa. powers do the new owners have on the new on the tenants when they buy the building? So that's a good question. Um, most leases in here are five years. five years, so they're five-year leases. Most leases have escalations built in them, so the the rent is not fixed. Mm -hmm. um, what we aim for is a minimum cost of living inflationary inflationary escalations 
um, and we go from there over the period of, uh, of the lease term. Mm -hmm. um, so anybody who buys this building is uh, going to inherit all the tenants because they come with the property and uh, then they have the ability to lease the units for whatever market value is. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's a moving target. Uh, depending on the market, uh, you may be able to lease the units quickly, mm -hmm. you may not, and depending on your expectations too. If you have reasonable expectations, then you lease the units quickly. If not, then you sit with them. There's a, a healthy market in the downtown core mm -hmm. uh, for rental space. In fact, surprisingly enough, um, the rental uh, leasing market has been strong this year. Mm -hmm. It's been quite strong. Uh, there's very little available quality space. Yeah. So it's been a positive thing. So there's lots of upside here to mm -hmm. a buyer. Yeah. And um, incentive-wise, right? So I'm a business. I see this property. Typically, residentials, they give you an extra three months. They give you all these different, you know, uh, thrills. Be like, okay, I'm going to lease this condo or apartment. What do commercial properties provide their potential tenants in terms of incentivizing them to like take on that five-year lease? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, really, the landlord has to look at the tenant, yeah. look if the tenant profile fits within the building. Mm -hmm. uh, and if they do, the landlord will roll out an incentive package. Yeah. So it could be a period of, uh, of uh, several months of free rent it could be reduced rent. Mm -hmm. It could be, um, we will give you an allowance by virtue of a dollar allowance mm -hmm. to build space if it needs to be built out yeah. for the tenant. Uh, there's many different ways it can be uh, uh, configured, any, mm -hmm. any kind of tenant allowance. Mm -hmm. So there isn't one set standard. Mm -hmm. it, there's many different ways. And do you see that a lot in this region, like in Oshawa? Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of incentives, eh? Yeah, there's incentives. Uh, landlords want quality tenants and yeah. they want tenure. They, they want long-term leases. So if I'm a tenant and uh, I've got a reputation and it's strong and I want to lease space for a long period of time, um, landlords will entertain what I have to say. But there is a, an element of being sensible too. You can't go to a landlord and say, well, I want the rent at half price and I want 18 months worth of free rent because, you know, I, I'm a solid tenant and you love my name, my brand. I mean, that's unreasonable. Yeah. But uh, so it, it, it plays on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. It has to be fair, the balance. Fair. Yeah. So I, I think um, uh, any landlord who has a quality asset and wants to rent to a quality tenant will source that tenant. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the incentives that he rolls out depends on the caliber of the tenant, the lease term, what the tenant is prepared to do to improve the space, mm -hmm. and does he fit mm -hmm. in the property, right? Because there are, for example, there are properties where there's a lot of restaurants. Yeah. And uh, if a restaurateur comes in on a vacancy, the landlord might say, well, my, my occupancy is 50% or higher of restaurants and I don't want another restaurant. That's just an example mm -hmm. about fit, what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Whereas they might want somebody that isn't a restaurateur, but this fits the current aspect of what they're looking for. Yeah, the time period. sure. If I'm a tenant, he's got 2,000 square feet. I've been in, the, in business for 20 years and I need 2,000 square feet. Uh, you know, the landlord will say, okay, you fit the tenant profile. 
does your business fit within the the business like the of the plaza mm-hmm. and uh, that's always part of the equation because mm-hmm. many landlords will say to tenants well you know you're a great tenant but you don't really fit uh, mm-hmm. the site and that, it's all part of the balance you have to mm-hmm. attain as a, as a broker yeah yeah because I get people who call me and say this is what I'm looking for uh, what have you got and I'll know immediately if they're gonna fit in Plaza A Plaza B building A C D whatever and I can just kind of help them out that way do you ever like work for the property you're selling so let's say you're selling the property and you go to a potential buyer and say I've got these potential businesses waiting to take on these leases if you were to buy this property like meaning that you're essentially doing the work for them to help them fill out like for a property like this okay i got business a b c and d ready to take on a lease um which incentivizes them to close a deal faster have you ever found yourself in that kind of situation yes often yeah sure yeah when i'm marketing a site uh the first question uh a prospective buyer will ask is uh what's the tenant uh pool like in this area if they're not familiar with the area uh, so they'll want to know how quickly they can lease up space mm-hmm. and who do I know that's looking to move yeah those are very common questions yeah yeah so you have a pool of like potential uh, businesses to call and be like hey are you looking to open another location I got a good space for you sure that's part of the business we we are always um, well we always get calls from people by virtue of the fact that we have a lot of lease space available around town um, not a lot of lease space, but different sites that we represent. And so people call us constantly and say, what have you got? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of bounce them around mm-hmm. and say, well, I've got this, I've got that, I've got this, and, and figure out what works for them. Nice. So, yeah. As we work towards moving to our next property, um, one of the biggest things we always say is location, location, location. Right? So what are the benefits of this location before we move on? Oh, good question also. Uh, this location is downtown Core Whippy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, it's it's easy to find uh, lots of traffic in this location um, and uh, it also benefits from a lot of uh, people who walk in downtown Whitby as opposed to a plaza which may be outside of the urban area mm-hmm. and people have to get in their cars and drive so that's another value add uh, especially restaurants and service-based businesses, if people can walk to them, it's a real benefit. Mm-hmm. And we, we have that. And also, too, zoning. In the downtown core, zonings have become much more flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, the intensification is a big word now. Intensification means in many downtown cores, uh, they're looking to build up and they're looking to intensify properties, meaning they're, they want to create more density. So that's a, that's a big plus. That actually can happen here as well. So that's another positive to this site. Amazing, all right. Let's go check out our next property. Let's go. place here in Oshawa. Chris, can you tell us about it? Thanks, Alex. Happy to. So Northwood Place here is the first building to go up in Northwood's Business Park, Mm -hmm. which is uh, 500 acres of land that the city of Oshawa has designated industrial and has serviced. Uh, This is the first one uh, actually uh, with 
construction going on. There's mm -hmm. other developments proposed in here, but uh, nothing that is at, at this stage. So here we've got 10,000 uh, square feet on the third floor, which is office, mm -hmm. and we've got about 9,700 square feet of warehouse space mm -hmm. in the back. Um, as you can see, the areas out front will be parking, and then at the side will be parking, mm -hmm. and there's shipping that wraps around the building, but this is just exciting for Oshawa. Yes. Mm. Why is it exciting? Uh, it's exciting because um, the industrial uh, development in Oshawa has really not uh, been as, um, as fruitful as other areas in the GTA. For example, if you go to the west part of Toronto, mm -hmm. if you go to areas like Milton and Brampton mm -hmm. and Mississauga, there is so much industrial development there, it's just mind-boggling how big some of these developments are. And on the east side, uh, we've had industrial development, but we haven't had a lot. And now, uh, industrial is becoming uh, more and more in play in Durham Region. Uh, there's a lot more interest in Durham Region from outside investors. And uh, it's time. It's Durham's time. You know? It is Durham's time. Now, we've learned a lot about what's happening in Durham, but we haven't learned a lot about Chris. So we're going to sit down and talk to Chris about his journey and some of his newest advancements that he's been working on in Durham Region. All right, tap in. It's going to be a good one. I'll see you on the side. One thing I want, quick want to mention to you is, um, you know, this is that follow-up interview, you know, and we'll be putting this together with our excellent, you know, walkthrough of Durham Region. You know, one of the main things that stood out to me when you had the conversation was selling an airport. And I do the gamut. I do industrial, commercial, retail, apartment buildings, development land, uh, and unique things. Like uh, several years ago, I sold an airport. Right? Right. Talk to us about that. Like, what happened there? Well, that was an interesting project. Probably one of the most uh, uh, intriguing uh, of my career. And I've been in the business 30 years plus. Um, this was... Um, a family that owned an airport um, and they had owned it for a very long time and it was time to sell. Uh, they came to me and, uh, and another colleague in the office and said, we want you to sell this airport. Of course, how do you sell an airport? Where do you come up with comparables? How do you even value an airport? And uh, it was quite an interesting project from a standpoint of you have no comparable properties. How many airports do you know that sell? And so you have to work it backwards. You look at the value of the land, you look at the value of the buildings, the runways, all the improvements, and then you have to assess some form of goodwill to the sale. And the goodwill ended up being uh, the license. So the license is what had value. Um, the land and the buildings themselves, uh, the fact that it had been an airport, uh, uh, for years prior, um, really the, the driving factor was that the aerodrome license was in place, a full aerodrome license, and that is from Transport Canada. Mm -hmm. You can't get an aerodrome license in Canada from any other uh, group or institution than Transport Canada. Mm. So that had real value, and you fast forward to the sale, and we had people say to us, well, this is ridiculous. You're asking an astronomical amount of money. Uh, I could buy land and put runways on it and, and put these uh, hangars on it and, you know, and do it for far less than what you're asking. And, of course, at that time, I, I, 
I said, well, okay. I had done my due diligence in advance because I was trying to figure out how do you really evaluate these things? So I networked with Ken Sutka, who was the president of the Canadian Owners and Pilots Association in Ottawa. And I learned a lot from him. He said, Chris, you need to look at the value of the license. And that license can only come from one source, as I said, Transport Canada, mm -hmm. and look at how long it takes to get that license. So I did some digging through Transport Canada, and I still actually have the flight manual from every airport on my desk. And it's a manual that's about this thick. It has every airport listed in there. The length of runways, the width of runways, the flight angles that you fly in and out of there, elevations, bird migrations, all these things. So I, I kind of looked at this and figured out that, wow, it takes a lot to get an airport license. And as I talked to Ken Sutka, he said, the process takes about seven years. Oh, wow. So I, I told people as they called and, and used the angle that we could buy some land and build this for far less than what you're asking, I would say to them, here is the phone number of Transport Canada. Why don't you phone them and find out how long it takes you to get a license? Mm. And the guy that ended up buying the property did just that. He came to us initially and said, uh, how, how, how did you get this price? And we said, well, you need to get in touch with Transport Canada and do your research. He did. He came back and he said, okay, where do I sign? <laughs> so, it, you know, you had, we had to learn about bird migration. We had to learn about what length of planes, mm. uh, what type of planes could land on what length of runways. Mm. We had to learn about um, um, octane levels in fuel. You said bird migration. Bird migration. So what does that have to do with selling an airport? Uh, well, you have to know where, if you're, if you're setting up an airport, you have yeah. to know how birds migrate, you know, because different airports have different elevations, okay. and different elevations have bird migration. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's quite a thing, mm -hmm. and um, you don't really think about it. You just think, well, I fly in, I fly out, and, but it's not like that. Mm -hmm. And I learned about, it, the most fascinating part was uh, actually people coming and looking at the airport and flying in, in their planes mm -hmm. and saying, well, uh, hop in, we'll go for a flight and uh, fly around. And so, you know, you're showing property from the air. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've never done that That's before crazy. or yeah. since. That was the one, one and only. So needless to say, uh, I've gotten a lot of attention mm -hmm. for selling an airport. In fact, it's on my bio, my uh, marketing uh, uh, person at Royal LePage said, you should put this on your bio. Mm. And lo and behold, here you are, Alex, asking the first question about the airport. Because it, it fascinates people. For most definitely. No one think, everyone talks about selling a house, but selling an airport is fascinating because you don't know what goes into that or what the, where the value comes from. You know, so even learning about the license aspect that takes seven years to get that is an interesting point because, you know, it doesn't take seven years to buy a house. Right. You know? So, yeah, it's a whole different concept. Even buying a business doesn't take seven years, mm -hmm. you know. So you're, right. you're buying so much when it comes to an airport. So you're not just buying an airport, you're buying the license, which is the most important aspect Correct. of it. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. and commercial real estate in, in general mm -hmm. is complex because there are no two standalone types of uh, properties. Mm -hmm. Every property is unique. Every property has its own story. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, similar in residential, but residential is is much more um, 
uh, I, I would say similar mm -hmm. uh, because a certain style of house in a certain neighborhood will sell for, you know, uh, an amount of money. And uh, when you're comparing similar houses, you know what the value is. With commercial properties, it's all over the map. Mm. So my business is really about digging into the story and uh, marketing the story. Mm -hmm. And whether it's an existing story with income, uh, whether it's some upside that you can develop, you know, these kinds of things. So my business is very different from day to day. That's interesting. I feel like that's where entrepreneurs, especially people in sales, can take lessons from, you know, how are they developing the story around what they're selling to create a unique value for, for the item or service they're selling. Yes. You know? um, so do you have a methodology when it comes to selling a specific property? So you know that, all right, if I take these specific steps, it gets to a higher valuation? Uh, it depends on what it is. If it's a, an income property, uh, you really have to look at the income that it generates or the income also that it potentially could generate. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to work it backwards. Uh, what can I do with this property? Mm -hmm. um, can I create value with this property? Or is it just a standalone proposition where I just buy it and carry on and do what the current owner is doing? So every property is unique mm -hmm. and every story is unique. And uh, so you really have to look at the type of asset it is, whether it's industrial or retail or office or a business or, you know, you name it. Mm -hmm. There are thousands, millions of, uh, of stories out there. Mm -hmm. um, and I encounter them and people are uh, tell me their story and then you have to figure out. Uh, how to market it in such a way that you're going to attract a buyer and not only attract a buyer but attract a buyer who sees the value that you're selling yeah. and that's always the art you know because people as buyers inherently will say well you know I, I want a better deal mm -hmm. and the sellers say well that, I'm not selling it for that yeah so you run into this opposition all the time in, in sales in general uh, whether it's a house or an industrial building so you, as the conduit, meaning the, the salesperson or the broker, have to kind of bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. You have to make a case, in other words. Mm -hmm. Here's why you want to pay this price. And if you can demonstrate value to a buyer, then they'll pay it. If you can't demonstrate value, then they won't pay it or they'll give you a hard time and negotiate hard. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of this... Uh, value um, and the way you market these properties comes from experience. So if you've been in the business a long time and you can use your knowledge and your experience to demonstrate this is how I got here, um, buyers will listen. Now, is it challenging finding a buyer or which is actually more challenging, finding the buyer and selling it or um, selling the, to the buyer overall? Oh, good question. Um, buyers are, you know, it depends on market conditions, really. So if the market is really robust, mm -hmm. buyers will line up and they'll just buy, uh, not, not uh, um, flippantly, like they'll buy, they'll do their due diligence and things. But when, when things are active and people are buying and selling, um, that's a different mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, fast forward, for example, to now, 2024, mm -hmm. 
and 2023, the year we came out of, uh, interest rates had spiked. So uh, the value of borrowing money had gone up considerably. And the commercial real estate business is heavily predicated on the cost of money to borrow funds. So, you know, deals were getting more and more contentious. Buyers were saying, well, I'm not uh, paying that kind of money for a rate of return of X number of dollars because it's costing me so much more to borrow money. Mm -hmm. And that's what they call leveraging, but that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, uh, it really depends, you know? Mm, fair. Now, our audience are small business entrepreneurs, right? What advice do you have for them when it comes to getting to their first commercial property, their first retail space, their first mall location? You know, what advice do you have for those people? I think uh, anybody who wants to uh, invest or lease commercial property has to be prepared because uh, if you have a concept and you're not uh, well prepared, um, people will not pay attention. You will not get the attention of a landlord. You will not get the attention of a bank or a seller. So what you need to do is you need to have a practical business plan in place. You need to have capital behind you. So you need to invest in uh, yourself and find out what is it that I qualify to borrow. And uh, that's a huge uh, it, well, it's not an issue. It's always a challenge with commercial is finding the money because uh, depending on what type of property you're buying, the parameters for borrowing are significantly different. Mm. So you have to have a business plan. You have to have uh, um, at least some idea of what it's going to cost you to borrow money and whether you can borrow and how much you can borrow. And you have to have knowledge about the process. So the process of leasing or, or buying commercial real estate is really different than buying a house. There's so many different uh, uh, um, variables that you need to uh, think about. It's, it's a curve. It's a big learning curve. Really? Yeah. So I, you know, there's, there's places that will help people like Chambers of Commerce, uh, Business Advisory Center of Durham is a great source for young entrepreneurs. They tell you, they run courses uh, where you can learn about all these things. And, um, you know, as the saying goes, if you uh, fail to plan, then you plan That's to fail. Plan. It's, it's a cliche, but it's so true. Yeah. Now, with the rise of online retail space, do you feel like there's been a dip? Because you've been doing this for, like, what, 20, 10, 20 plus years now? 30. 30 plus 30 years. plus years. Do, has there been a dip in traffic when it comes to commercial real estate, or is it still just as consistent? Uh, there's been a transition. Um, retail has changed, no question about it. Uh, a lot of stores are not carrying inventory. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've walked into a retail clothing location, for example, and you want a certain size of a certain uh, product, they'll often say to you, well, we don't stock it here. You have to get it online. So retail has almost become a, you know, a display case. Mm -hmm. So um, in that regard, what's happening is a lot of retail stores that carried large footprints, meaning large locations, mm -hmm. have pared back their footprints. So they have uh, a selection of items, but they don't carry big inventory. Mm, yeah, and I noticed that with the Bay. 
You know, um, I, I had an internship with the Bay, and I noticed that they have a crazy e-commerce system on their back end. You know, um, and that's one of the things that's, that, that's driving them forward now because not that many people, people are going to their stores anymore. You know, Essence is another example, too. Mm-hmm. In, in uh, Montreal, they have a small boutique, but their e-commerce is massive. Right. Right. And, yeah, it's an extensive business going online. Now, do you suggest that people should – actually, matter of fact, I'll ask, at what stage do you think people should be going into retail? You know, is there a specific – like a metric that you think people should be hitting when it comes to getting into retail space that you find is consistent or is it just like um, I want to start a business get the plan straight into a retail space uh, well it's a, it's different for every entrepreneur right yeah. if you have an online presence and uh, you want to have a retail presence then that seems like an organic process to me uh, if you don't have an online presence and you have a, a retail idea or concept, I'm not sure leasing retail space is the is the right way to go. Mm. Because when you lease space, uh, whether it's retail, industrial, office, mm. you're tied into a contract, yeah. uh, which you, you generally can't get out of. And um, so you have to be pretty committed and you have to be pretty organized to get to that point. So um, it, it really is different for every uh, situation. Mm. Um, retail is, is an interesting animal right now. Like to your point about shopping malls, uh, they've almost become a, a location for people to meet and greet. And shopping malls are starting to have more entertainment yeah. uh, driven experiences yeah. in their malls. Yeah. And, and they want to draw people to the entertainment. And while you're here, you can browse, mm-hmm. right? But as you said, so much shopping is now driven by e-commerce. So Most definitely. You know what's happening is that as humans, especially as Americans, we're missing third places. You know what I mean by that? So like right now what's happening is people are going to school and going home. You know, there's no longer the third place where you'd – like go to hang out, entertain yourself. Like right. as kids, all of us would go to um, Cineplex and hang out. You know, the mall would be our third place as kids. Right. So, so now there needs to be spaces for us to like really congregate and enjoy ourselves, especially as adults too. You know, the clubs have been uh, commodified so heavily that people don't really have a space to go and enjoy themselves. You know, like Snakes and Lattes is huge in Toronto because there's a third place that people can go sure. after work, you know, in Italy and in Europe, there's a huge, like a uh, swath of third places. Like in Jamaica, there's a place called Devon house. It's like an ice cream store. There's, um, patties. There's a whole, like a plaza where people will go and eat ice cream and chill out and just have a good time with their families. Sure. Canada doesn't really have that anymore. You know? Not yet. Yeah. I, I think it's coming here and you'll see, uh, for example, uh, shopping centers have uh, VR, um, VR yeah, spaces. Yeah. Uh, you'll see golf simulators. You're, yeah. you're starting to see arcades now mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. shopping centers. So um, they're they're rethinking the model where you go. In the past, you would go to a shopping center and shop you would leave. shop, and now it's becoming almost an entertainment-driven venue. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I think it's healthy. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I feel like we're becoming a lonely community. 
you know, in Canada. People need to socialize, yeah. Alex. You know, post-COVID, I've seen a lot more people being uh, open and, uh, and um, they just want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to sit at home and commiserate and watch TV or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, so I, I think malls reinventing themselves is a, is a good idea uh, for sure socialization, but also, too, to bring people to mm-hmm. the mall so that they can um, browse, mm-hmm. right? Most definitely, most definitely. But now let's pivot a little bit. You know, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about money. You know, when you were first getting started, what were some of the bigger deals when you were just getting started, you know, not now? that were more of the marquee deals, you know? And if for someone else to get into commercial real estate, what would be an expected salary that they could expect? Well, there's no such thing as a salary in real estate uh, sales. You are primarily driven by commission. Mm-hmm. So it's 100% commission for most. I, I'm not aware of a salary-driven uh, uh, commercial real estate career. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're in the property management field, um, or you're doing lease administration, something like that. Mm-hmm. But pure sales, uh, it's 100% commission. Mm-hmm. So when you start out, um, the best plan is to have some capital behind you mm-hmm. uh, because it takes a while to learn uh, how to navigate. Is that uh, what you did? Um, I started off with a different path. Uh, I started off with multi-residential, mm-hmm. selling small apartment buildings. Um, because my family has a background in that. Mm -hmm. So it was an easy entry point for me. It wasn't easy. I shouldn't say nothing is easy. But it was an entry point for me that was easier than getting into the industrial or retail or office market. And then eventually I morphed into more expansive things. As I learned more, I I could, you know, parlay my knowledge into more things. Mm. What was the first big deal you, you did? Uh, well, it's not big by today's standards, but back then it was fairly sizable. 30 years ago, um, I, I sold a development piece of property and it had a couple of buildings on it and it was, um, Mm $350,000 and you're probably sitting there going, wow, you can't even buy a townhouse for that, which is actually true. But back then, and we're talking in the eighties. Uh, $350,000 was a significant amount of money and I was so happy and, uh, it was, it was, it was difficult. Mm -hmm. It it had so many twists and turns like all these types of deals, but, uh, it closed and, uh, yeah, it was, it was very rewarding. So what was the the commission on that? Like 3% or something like that? Well, (laughs) I can't remember. I mean, back then, commission rates were different than they are now. Mm-hmm. They were relative to the amount of the deal, right? Mm-hmm. So they were, they were higher than they are now. So as prices started driving up, um, commission rates, uh, just they down. were adjusted. Because people started thinking, wow, look at the price of, of this and, and, and look at the, the, the relative to uh, the, the sale price, yeah. how much commission I'm paying. That's always a... Um, a balance, a tricky balance. But once you get established and you have a name, you can, uh, you can call the shots because yeah. people recognize in commercial real estate anyway and residential, once you get established, you, mm-hmm. can, 
you, you can use that experience and that knowledge and that track record that you've established into not getting into a negotiating game over fees. One thing that uh, caught me, man, 350 for a development with buildings on it. Yep. Sounds insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That sounds like, like 30 million today, probably. You know? <laughs> I'm not sure that much, but it was, uh, at the time, it was a big deal. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. but, but everything's relative. Yeah. You know? So now, does your opinion on real estate change over time? Like, what's your outlook <laughs> on real estate now that you've had so many years of experience in it? I, I know how to look for problems. Um, in, when you start out, you, you are very excited and you're enthusiastic and you want to dig your, your, your teeth into something and, you know, damn the torpedoes kind of thing. I'll, I'll figure this out. I'll, cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sponge for knowledge and, uh, and that served me well in the business. But now after all these years, mm-hmm. I kind of know what to look for and then I can, I can allocate my time better because I have the experience. So I can draw upon that, you know, I could say, well, you know, 10 years ago, I sold a similar property. And here were the challenges that I faced then. And you prepared yourself for uh, the challenge, uh, if it's a similar type of property. So you just have more knowledge to draw on. And that, that experience is, uh, you can't replace, there is no replacement for experience, especially in commercial real estate. Yeah, most definitely. Now, we heard about your airplane deal. Is there any other deals that you think were as noteworthy that comes to mind? Yeah, uh, I just actually uh, completed a deal um, in Bowmanville. Uh, this is a really, you'll like this. Uh, so we had, I, I represent a, a large landlord in Durham, and they had a, have a property out in Bowmanville Shopping Center. There was a Target store in there. It was formerly a Zeller's. And um, it was 112,000 square feet. Massive. And um, so it had been vacant for a number of years. And the owners were trying to figure out, what what do we do with this? Do we break it up into smaller units? Do we repurpose it into residential? What, What exactly do we do with this? So they started looking at development plans. Um, and then a client of mine um, from years ago contacted me and said, Chris, I want to build an indoor go-kart track. And I said to him, you want to build it? You want to develop it? What do you want to do? He says, well, I want to find the land and I want to build the building. And, you know, I've got uh, the technology and everything. And I, I, he had a business plan that was 80 pages long. It was staggering. The detail on it was phenomenal. And I found it to be fascinating. And I said, okay, well, this is interesting. I, you know, never had a project like this. So I sunk my teeth into it. But once we looked at the cost of building, the cost of servicing land, paying all the development charges and everything, it just became prohibitive to him. He said, no, this is way, this is crazy. So I said to him, would you consider leasing? He goes, well, maybe, what do you have? And I told him about the Target store out in Bowmanville. And he said, uh, I don't know, let's go look. So we, I took him through the building and he walked around and he was gone for, I think, 45 minutes, just pacing around the building and 
taking measurements and writing notes. And he came back to me after what seemed like an eternity. And he looked at me and he said, Chris, let's do it. And I did the deal. And he's going to open in May. It's called Volt Raceway. And it's Canada's largest indoor electric go-kart track. There's two tracks, actually. Lithium batteries. And um, this guy is going to kill it. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Um, Clarington Board of Trade, uh, economic development. A lot of people in Clarington politics have uh, really got around this thing. And uh, he's super excited. I'm excited. It's just going to revolutionize the entertainment market in Durham. It'll draw a lot of people, not just from Durham, but people from outside. Because that's like a yeah. tourist attraction, you know. To Absolutely. Go, to go play a go-kart in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, uh, and don't forget, you're in Bowmanville. That's Highway 57. Do you know what happens on 57? No. And he said, um, I'm not sure. I said, all the gearheads drive up that road to go to Mossport. Mossport, Mossport Raceway. Raceway? Raceway. Really? There's an international raceway called Mossport, really? or Mossport, Mossport. Uh, yeah. yeah, north of Bowmanville. It's been there forever. It's been there. Yeah, it's been there oh, a long it's time. Like, it's like the race cars and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. It's a it's a bu- it's a great racetrack. Uh, they run all kinds of races there, and it's very famous. They used to have the the Canadian Grand Prix was raced there. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. So all these people are driving by this facility. And to go to most part. Now, what do you think the chances are that these guys are going to stop there once they figure out it's an indoor racetrack? Wow. Probably pretty high. Very high. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's environmentally friendly because it's lithium batteries. The carts uh, are all designed. Um, like He has it all figured out. Mm. This guy's brilliant. And uh, I can hardly wait for him to open. So that was, that was a deal that I really, really enjoyed working on. And I feel proud to have done it because it's going to have a lasting impact on Durham. So let me ask you about the properties we visited. Um, what's the update on the Thornton property? Oh, the Thornton property. We've got great traction there. Uh, the building is essentially complete. Mm-hmm. Uh, we leased up the last uh, 10,000 square feet of industrial to a multinational company. And uh, we are now in the process of leasing. Um, we've got uh, most, about half of the office space is gone. It's committed. Mm-hmm. So we've got a deal we're working on now for 5,000 square feet um, and a great tenant. And then we've got 10,000 square feet available on the top floor. And we've had a couple of tours on that. So uh, lots, of, uh, lots of activity. Mm. This is the properties this filling up with speed yeah you know once you build it they will come Mm -hmm. and uh once uh, when we looked at it it was kind of in a state of um it wasn't completed it was under construction i think if you recall we couldn't really go inside we had to stand outside because Mm -hmm. of the the frost fence and everything but now you you go there it's all paved Uh, there are people in there buzzing around and so we're we're doing well with it now what about the downtown property Oh, um, yeah, so that plaza, uh, we had uh, one of the signature tenants decided to leave at the end of their lease. So we ended up with a uh, 4,400 square foot retail vacancy. 
And that's not an easy vacancy to fill. Um, but we, we put it on the market and we've started filling up other vacancies in the building. So now we only have that one main floor, 4,000 square foot vacancy. So we've done well. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- retail has actually made a, a kind of a renaissance. You would think post-COVID and with e-commerce and things like that, people aren't interested in retail, but it's kind of the opposite. opposite. Mm. You know, so it's been, um, it's been a good story. And so with that property, um, w- once we fill that uh, vacancy, the 4,000 square feet, and it's on the ground floor and it's a prime corner unit, when we fill that up, then uh, we'll uh, look at marketing the property for sale. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long haul, but you know, um, it's been a slow burn like most commercial real estate. But yeah. you have to be patient and you have to take care of details, and uh, it will eventually happen. How does one get into commercial real estate? Uh, well, you you, there, you take courses to get into real estate first and foremost, and you have an option of going into the residential side mm-hmm. or going into the commercial side. But really, uh, the commercial side, in order to succeed, you need a mentor, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I had. Mm-hmm. So mentorship is huge because there's so many things to learn, and it doesn't happen quickly. Mm-hmm. So mentorship is important. Gotcha. Okay. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, this is what you can control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. And I'm Chris. That's the show, y'all. Peace.